Our first scripture reading of the morning is from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 1 through 9 and then continue the story later on during the course of the message. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want you just to imagine for a moment picking up the Sunday paper, the Lancaster newspaper, and reading the following headlines. Dateline, New York. In a hastily called press conference, the president of Pepsi today shocked the world by announcing that he really preferred the taste of Coca-Cola. The now former Pepsi boss said, Coke really is the real thing. It just tastes better. Dateline Hollywood. Pop star Britney Spears held a press conference to announce that she was retiring from show business to work in a local Salvation Army soup kitchen. Her belongings will be auctioned off on Facebook Marketplace. Dateline North Carolina. In an exclusive interview, Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, announced that he was resigning from Samaritan's Purse to become executive director for a national atheist group. Ministry leaders could not be reached for comment. Now, as hard as it is to imagine any of those ridiculous and outlandish scenarios, they would be far less dramatic than the about face that took place in a man who was struck to the ground one day by a bright light that came from heaven while he was on the road to Damascus. And I'd like for us to look once again at this story from Acts chapter 9 as I continue reading about a man named Saul who became one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And so please join me as I pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 22. It says, now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen in the vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we pray that the words of this preacher's mouth and the meditation of each and every heart here in this room would be acceptable to you as you are our rock and our redeemer to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if I were to say that the man traveling on the road on Damascus that day was not a nice person, that would be not only the understatement of the year, it would be the understatement of the last 2,000 years. Saul's heart was as hard as the road on which he was traveling. We know that he'd already been an accomplice in the murder of a man named Stephen. Now here he was, traveling from town to town, rounding up men and women, having them thrown into dungeons, publicly flogged, and then led away to be killed. What were their crimes? It was for simply believing that a Jewish carpenter who had been raised from the dead, was indeed the Messiah of God. Now, what you need to understand is that this is not your everyday, average, ordinary law enforcement officer being forced to carry out the necessary unpleasantness of his job. Saul loved his job. Saul couldn't wait to get up in the morning to do his job. But you know what? A funny thing happened that day on the Damascus Road as the terminator of the Bible got religion. It says a light came from heaven and knocked him to the ground. And as he lay there, he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And I don't know, he's kind of skipped right over that, but to me, that's kind of amazing. This is a man who has worshiped God his entire life, who has believed in God, who has defended God, who has even killed for God, but, He does not know God. Someone has said this, that at the last judgment, the division will be between the people who know God and the people who know about God. The voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, at this point, I have a feeling there was this dead silence because as Saul lay there, everything that was near and dear to him was jerked right out from underneath him. The law his self-righteousness, all of it. And as Saul lay there on the ground in a death-like state after being creamed by Christ on that Damascus road, he was transformed into a new person by the power of Christ. Yogi Berra was once asked, who was the greatest baseball player who ever lived? And Yogi Berra said, well, 
There was Babe Ruth, then nobody, and then a lot of guys tied for third. (laughs) Saul finds out that Jesus is far and away the biggest, the best, the brightest, the greatest who has ever lived. On this uh, Sunday after Easter, I have a question for you. Are you here, really, to encounter the greatest who has ever lived, who is Jesus Christ? Or are you content to just come here, pray a few prayers, sing a few words to some songs and hymns, and listen to a few words from the pulpit? Is this for you? Just a kind of weekly ritual that allows you to leave after the service out the front doors with a smile on your face and hopefully to beat the Baptists for lunch at the nearest restaurant. (laughs) Well, if those are your expectations today, allow me to have a few minutes to work to raise them up. Because if the risen Christ is the one who gave Saul this Damascus Road experience, doesn't it follow that the same Jesus can give to you and me a chestnut-level road experience? If the power that knocked Saul down to the ground was in fact Christ, doesn't it stand to follow that this same power could knock you out of your Mustang or Bronco or ram truck skeptics out there will say you know john a leopard never changes its spots a zebra never changes its stripes but friends god is not finished with any of us yet we yearn for a transformation we yearn to be changed from the inside out. And yes, sometimes even the world yearns for that transformation. Before he was the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz had a kind of Saul on the Damascus Road experience back in 1981. He was traveling from New York to Seattle to check out a popular coffee bean store that had been buying up many of the Swedish coffee drip makers that he was selling at the time. And so he went into the store and he ordered a mug of freshly brewed coffee. This is what he said. My eyes shot wide open. I felt as though I had discovered a whole new continent. Now, some of us probably drink coffee to experience that momentary sense of transformation caused by the caffeine. Well, friends, what I'm talking about today is not just a caffeine jolt. I'm talking about an inner transformation of our motives, of our desires, of our hopes, of our dreams that's made possible by the one who exited the tomb on Easter morning only to enter into our lives and change everything, change each and every one of us forever. And friends, it is only Jesus Christ who can make this change within you and me. Only Jesus Christ is able to to break into this world, wipe out all our mistakes, all of our ghosts of failures past, all of the things that we have ever done wrong. They are gone by his blood and through his grace. And we start fresh all over again with a new beginning. As Paul says so wonderfully, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is dead and gone. Behold, 
A new day, a new life has dawned. You say, well, John, how exactly will we be changed? Well, first, will we be changed in how we view Jesus Christ? Because, you see, to Saul, Jesus was this blasphemous imposter who was still rotting in his grave. Christianity to Saul was a cancer that was actually threatening the life of Judaism. And Saul believed that he was God's designated scalpel for cutting out that cancer before it spread too far. But then there was that day that that light came down from heaven and knocked him to the ground. What was that light? It was the light that was in the beginning when God said, let there be light. It was the light that Moses saw in the burning bush. It was the light that led the children of Israel during their trek in the wilderness. It was the light that twinkled in the star over the pastures of Bethlehem. It was the light that the disciples hid from their eyes when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was the light that blinded the soldiers' eyes at the tomb on Easter morning. And it was the light that was so bright that it actually penetrated the darkness of Saul's soul. And it flooded him with this revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. As Saul would later say in 2 Corinthians, that light was the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think another thing that changed with Saul was he came to appreciate who was really in charge of his life. The voice said, get up and go into the city where you will be told what to do. I imagine that was a huge change for the Apostle Paul. Here was this independent, confident, type A personality driven to success, a CEO kind of guy who called the shots. He would yell, jump, and all the people around him would respond, how high? But now Saul is blind, and he's in this state of utter dependency and he has to be led by the hand in the city and be told what to do by the very people that he was going to persecute. And as I think about that, do you know what that sounds like to me? What that sounds like to me is what the life of a Christian is like. Because we go from having this firm grip on the steering wheel of our lives, thinking that we're in control, only to really find out and only to really have to finally acknowledge that God is the one who is in control. He is the one who tells us what we are to do. I think very often we're like a little boy who was sitting in the back of the family minivan and he wanted to see through the window and so he stood up on the seat. And his mom said, now Billy, you need to sit right down there and fasten your seatbelt. And he said, no. And he said, Billy, I'll say it again. You sit down and fasten that seatbelt because I can't drive with you standing up like that. Again, he said, no. And so she pulled over to the side of the road. And he said, I'm gonna give you one more chance, Billy. If I have to get out of this car and make you sit down and fasten your seatbelt, I'm gonna give you a spanking. He just glared at her. And so she reached for the handle of the car door and quickly sat down and fastened the seatbelt. She said, that's better. And so she pulled back onto the road and in a voice that was soft, but still loud enough to be heard, Billy said, I may be sitting down on the outside, <laughs> but on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Friends, I'm willing to bet that every one of you are sitting down on the outside this morning. I can see it. But are there areas in your life before God where, where maybe, maybe on the inside you're standing up? And then the biggest change, the biggest change is how the Apostle Paul saw himself when he looked in the mirror. Because later on, while in the city, he still got that taste of dirt in his mouth, and he's waiting for the axe to fall, and he believes, he expects to hear, why, you little Christ hater, you've got what's coming to you, we're going to tear you limb from limb. But instead, God sends to him a man by the name of Ananias, who puts his arms around him and says, Brother Saul, welcome. We're so glad that you're on our team. And that realization of the grace and mercy of God in that moment changed Saul forever. And it lifted that burden of guilt and sin from his shoulders. I love the way that the late Christian writer Frederick Buechner says it. He said, Saul never forgot the sheer lunatic joy of that moment. And so as I close, let me ask you a question. Do you have any areas in your life where you're kind of feeling like a terminator? Maybe it's in your relationship with your children. Maybe it's in your relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's in a relationship with a friend. Maybe it happens to be in your ability to trust God with the big issues of your life. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ stands before us in our sinfulness, in our weakness, and in our Terminator-like state. And he says, it's time for you to change. One of the ministries of the American Bible Society is to pass out Bibles on street corners in major cities across the country. And in Chicago, there was this worker for the American Bible Society who was passing out New Testaments when a man came up to him and said, hey, listen, I'll take one of your Bibles, but to be honest, I'm going to take the pages, tear them out, and roll them into cigarettes. And so the worker from the American Bible Society said, okay, but would you promise to do me one thing? Would you read the pages before you smoke them? The guy said, sure, why not? Well, it was over a year later that the man came back, and this is what he said. I smoked Matthew. I smoked Mark. I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke anymore. And my life was changed. Imagine if we had to put the Surgeon General's warning on the side of Bibles. This book could change your life. The Apostle Paul was changed. This man in the story I was just telling you was changed. And you and I can be forever changed if we can have a chestnut-level road experience. And so, may God strike all of you with the love and power of his radiant light. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for our chestnut-level road experience and for the magnificent change that you can bring when the bright light of Jesus Christ comes into our lives. Help us to show our true colors as Christians in this afterglow of Easter. We pray that the songs that we sing and the words that we speak, but most of all, the life that we live, let the whole world know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is the Messiah of God. 
And we ask all this in his holy name. Amen.